Hello. Welcome to Little Things First. Little Things First podcast, where we focus on the little things that make a big difference in schools. Mm-hmm. Hey, Tracy. Hey, Jim. So um, we're going to, I understand we're talking to another award-winning principal today. I know. This is really some of my favorite times is when I we actually know. talk to people who are doing the real work with real kids and real teachers and real parents. Not that, you know, authors and, and other kinds of, you know, uh, researchers aren't important. That is important because it helps inform our practice. But I love that, like, frontline work, trying every day to make life better for kids. Right, right. So we get to hear today from Carrie Weldon. She is another award-winning principal in Ashley Elementary and is just doing some really amazing things. And if I remember right, she had some real success in working with her EL students. And I, I want to know more what she's got going. So, so uh, where is she from? What part of the... She's in Utah, and I think she's out near Vernal. Wow, Utah! We got a Utah person. I know, I know. We've been kind of reaching out, but let's let's get back home. All right, Uh, let's give her a call. Hello, is this Carrie? It is. Hi, hi, Carrie. For just a second, we got to talk to your voicemail. (laughs) Oh, okay. It's all good. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. This is Tracy Vandeventer with the Little Things First podcast, and we are so grateful that you are taking a little bit uh, time of your time to, to visit with us about your school. Well, not a problem. I love talking about my school. <laughs> That's perfect. And I'm with my uh, podcast co-host, Jim Martin. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Jim. Nice to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. Would you do me a favor, and would you tell me a little bit about yourself, and then tell me about your school? Okay. So I started teaching in 1990, August of 1990. So this is my 20th year, or 30th year, I'm sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, you've got to be getting close to the, to the magical, you know, 30-year marker. <laughs> <laughs> I am, and I still probably have another 10 to go. So, <laughs> so yes, I've been doing this for 30 years, and um, I have two grown children and one granddaughter and a golden doodle dog. Nice. And <laughs> so um, we have a good life here in Vernal. Um, so... I um, attended Utah State University and received my bachelor's degree in secondary English education from USU. Um, I grew up in Sacramento, California, but my mom grew up in Logan, and my dad was from Salina, Utah, so I had ties in Utah and Mm -hmm. came back here to go to school. And um, then... I did my master's degree at University of Utah, getting a credential in special education. So my first teaching job was teaching special education, even though my degree was in secondary English. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did that for about four years. And then the principal came to me and said he wanted me to teach reading. Mm-hmm. So I went and got my reading um credential and taught reading for four years. I have this pattern of about every four years, I have to change what I'm doing. Me too. Um, 
<laughs> I, and it's not boredom. It's just things come up and I have other opportunities. So I taught reading for four years, went back to teach special ed at the high school here in Vernal for a year. And then my husband and I decided to move our family to California in 1999. So we, um, we moved to Folsom, California, which is by Sacramento, and which is by my family. That's where I grew up, was in Sacramento. And um, I taught special ed for two years and then taught um, high school English for 11 years. But mm-hmm. part of that time, I worked in the district halftime. I would teach half day. And then I was a curriculum specialist in English half day. So in 2012, we decided to go and move back to Vernal, Utah. And that's where my husband is from. So we've spent a lot of our life here. And um, I worked as an instructional coach for the UNA School District here. And I did that for about three years. And at the time that I was coaching, um, the curriculum director who was my boss kept on telling me, go get your, um, your uh, administrative credential. And so I went back through SUU and got my administrative credential. And I went in and applied for a secondary vice principal position. And they called me and said, we don't want you for the vice principal position, but we would like you to take on being the principal of this elementary. And I said, I have no experience in elementary. I've never taught elementary. And he said, no, 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 you'll be fine. (laughs) So I took on Ashley Elementary School about five years ago, and I've been the principal ever since. So that's kind of been my educational journey. Now, is Ashley Elementary, is that a like a rural area, a rural school? Well, it's such a kind of a funky little um, demographic. Vernal is not big. We're about um, 40,000 people altogether. I think in, in the town itself, there's maybe 10,000 people. And Ashley Elementary is smack in the middle of the, of this little city. And... Um, so in some ways, we have a inner city demographic. It's low income. We have about 63% of our students are on free and reduced lunch. Um, we have the, mo- the highest ELL population in our district. We have about um, 30 kids who are, who are ELL. And um, so we have kind of this weird demographic, but we are a rural school, too. Mm-hmm. Are you the only elementary school in that area, or are there multiple? No. In the district, we have um, seven elementaries. Um, some are more out in the country. Uh, there's about three, four elementaries that are right in the city area or, or surrounding cities. Okay. So there, there's seven elementaries. We have um, two middle schools and then one high school in our district. How big is your school? I Well, if you had asked me last year, 
Yeah. I had about 600 students. This year, I have just under 500 students. We've lost 100 to online school. And, you know, that's kind of been the way it's gone across the state. Sure. So you're meeting right now, you're meeting in the building and a hundred of your students have chosen some other way, either homeschool or distance learning or right. online learning or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. And, and right now, since the beginning of the school year, we've been a hundred percent in school. Mm-hmm. So we have a hundred percent of our kids in school every day. I don't know how long that will last, but mm-hmm. right now it's been going well. And honestly, um, wearing the masks and, you know, there was a lot of political dust up as we started school about wearing masks in school, but our, our health um, department leader keeps on telling us the safest place for our kids are in the schools because we're not having any school to school transmission Mm -hmm. of the virus right now. Mm -hmm. That's good. And it shows what a leader you are and holding those standards and helping everyone you know, stay safe. Yeah. Tell us about your school well, in regards to your work. Uh, I have been told that you had some success with your EL students in particular and wanted to know more about the structures that you have set up. You made reference that you had 30 EL students. Is is that right? Yes, we do. And um, the, I'll tell you the whole story because, um, you know, our our district, we don't have a large EL population across our district. And so um, there weren't a lot of district structures for students who came into schools um, who were second language learners. And um, they they had like one part-time aide to work with any kid who needed EL education. And then they had this online program called Imagine Learning. Mm-hmm. And I um, I wasn't really impressed. We had we struggled with getting the kids on to Imagine Learning and having them do it with fidelity and all of that. And sure. so I was kind of frustrated with it. And about three years ago, um, a couple of things happened that really kind of drew my attention to what were we doing with our EL students. And one of them was in um, student intervention team meetings, we kept on bringing EL students to the student intervention team. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you, you can't put a child into special education because of a language issue. Right. And so I was, I was looking and kind of frustrated with what, what are we doing with these kids? And so we had just started using Dibbles, Acadians at that time. So I went into Acadians and I created an EL group. I put all of our kids who scored anywhere on the WIDA from, you know, one to four. And I put them into a group and I started to look at their Acadians data and trying to determine what was happening. And the one thing I was seeing was that they weren't growing. Hmm. And even even as we progress monitored them, they were just hitting a wall. And so that sent me into a little bit of a panic. And then at that time, we had a little kiddo, a little first grader come to us straight from Peru. And I was trying to think, what am I going to do with this kid? I don't have any kind of system that mm-hmm. is really in place for him to get him up and going 
And, um, you know, I came from a district in California where we had a very vibrant EL, EL population and EL program. And so I knew in California that my kids who were EL had, had places that they could go and, and programs for them. So I started to try to think, what could I do? How could I help with this? And I, I talked to, you know, our district people. And they said, well, our, our aide is really busy with the secondary kids. She maybe has 30 minutes to help this little guy, 30 minutes a week. And I was like, 30 minutes a week is not going to be enough to get this kid up to speed. Yeah. And I got looking, and I, had, I have an, a reading aid, a reading intervention aid. And she herself was an ELL student as a child. She came to the U.S. from Mexico when she was about, I don't know. I think she started school here, so she must have been a preschooler. Mm-hmm. And um, so she had been through that process, and she was very passionate about, you know, getting kids reading and stuff. And so I asked her, I said, what if we paid for you to have 10 extra hours a week and you pull our students who score a one or a two on WIDA and work with them? And she was more than happy to do that. And so then we went on this journey of, okay, so what materials do we have to work with these kids? And we started pulling stuff and trying stuff. And um, we, we kind of ransacked the district and came up with different materials from different places. And so she and I sat down and, and our reading, our reading specialist, we sat down and started to kind of put together what she could do with these kids. And, we came down to a focus on, you know, vocabulary, um, syntax, and then um, speaking and listening skills and writing. I think she does some writing with them, too. And she does some, you know, like intervention. If they're struggling with a subject, she'll pull them in and help them work through whatever they're struggling with. But really, the the best thing I did with all of this was to take Griselda Quintero, who is my ELL aide, and um, put her in working with our ELL students. She's been amazing. So then I went to the district and I said, okay, I need some ELL help. I said, I've got these 30 kids who aren't getting any kind of intervention for their language. And I said, will you pay for these 10 hours? And so he said, yeah, we've got all this ELL money and yeah, we can, we can pay for that. So um, we did that for about a half a year. And um, when our test scores came back, our ELL kids made a huge bump in on their um, stage at that time, RISE um, test scores. And um, so then the district started to look at this little plot that I had put into (laughs) place and, and they went and created the same model in all of the schools. Wow. So you were a real trailblazer. I don't know about that. I was just trying to fix a problem that I had, but it has, it's it's been a really good program across the the board and it's really helped our ELLs and all of the schools to at least have somebody checking in with them and working with them, you know, a couple of times a week. So how has, so, how has the program been refined since it was first created? I mean, like what program is in use and 
how is that um how is that looking now? Yeah, after you ransacked, I think I heard you say you ransacked <laughs> right. the district. Now, now I what? did ransack, <laughs> and I'm not. You know, I can't tell you well. We use one program because we have bits and pieces of everything. I do know that one of the things I purchased was um, the Reading A to Z ELL program, and um, we used a lot of that. And I and we still do. We we rely on that a lot. It's got a lot of good um, decodable books that are on the levels that those kids need and all of that. So we use that um, this year because the state isn't funding um, Imagine Learning anymore. We're kind of on the hunt for something else. I'm I'm looking into the Rosetta Stone ELL program, mm -hmm. but I, I've got to look at it before I, you know, determine if that's something we want to try mm -hmm. and do. Mm -hmm. But um, so you're, really, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, really, any any program that kind of focuses on what I said that that it has a strong vocabulary element, um, that it and, and your vocabulary element has to be um, a mixture of academic vocabulary mm -hmm. and then also just everyday vocabulary and grade level vocabulary. So they're they're kind of working on bumping up just their their speaking vocabulary in general and then their their academic vocabulary to help them with their schoolwork. And then also that um that semantics and syntax, you know, where they're learning the, the structure of sentences because um there is, there are some fairly significant differences between Spanish and English syntax. And so mm -hmm. um you know, you've got to be sure that they understand that and then just kind of helping them, you know, keep up with their, their work. Yes. So I will tell you the success story though. Um, my little guy that came in first grade, Peru. um, we, we were, you know, we worked and worked on with him and, and, um, usually in, in second grade, I put him with a teacher who spoke Spanish and then came third grade and I could tell when I talked with him, I could tell that he understood what I said, but he wouldn't talk to me. Mm -hmm. So I intentionally put him with a teacher in third grade who didn't speak any Spanish. So he had to speak. And I told her, I said, your goal is to get him speaking out loud so he feels comfortable with that. And in about January, I went in to do an observation in her class. And... um I could tell she had something up her sleeve. And so she was, they were working on some math review and um, she called on this little kid and she said, would you, ex how, would you explain this problem and how you solved it? And he starts just chirping up and he is speaking like a native. Wow. And I about fell out of my seat. I thought, <laughs> Oh my goodness, this is a work. <laughs> and wow. then, um, at the beginning of this year, Greece Greece came to me and she goes, he tested out. He tested at a three and I can't work with him if he's a three. And I said, no, 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 no. You keep working with our friend. But yeah, so he has made leaps and bounds. And, and now, you know, he's he's working almost at grade level. So. Oh, wow. That's, that is a great story. What, um, <laughs> how long do the students spend in the class? Did you say? Maybe you didn't say. I didn't say they, um, it depends. And, and Greece really determines, you know, how much time some kids she'll spend 
uh, like 30 minutes almost daily with them, you know, especially like our kindergartners, first graders who have only been speaking Spanish at home and now they need to get caught up. Mm -hmm. She'll, she'll work with them quite intensively. It might be daily. Some of the kids who um, just need some help, she might anywhere from 15 minutes daily to twice, you know, 15 to 30 minutes twice a week. That she okay. works with them, so it it it's different. It differs, right? And I really leave it up to her to determine who needs what. It was like really based on you know the parameters that we we have her working with those who scored a one or a two on the WIDA, and and then kind of checking with the threes or fours. Um, last year, she was talking to me about this kid actually scored a two, but he doesn't need as much help as this kid who scored a three. And so if she feels like somebody needs some more help, I'm like, just, yeah, do it. I'm not going to go by, no, we have to follow these rules. We, we're going to help kids who need the help. Yeah, that's great. I'm wondering, um, how does this carry over into the classroom? So, um, you know, that 30 minutes is obviously very powerful for the students. How have you gone about trying to build teacher capacity around working with ELLs in, in the classroom when they're not being serviced by uh, EL aid? So, um, you know, it just depends on the kid. And, and we have a strong, we have a strong reading intervention program and, and we keep on working on it to build it. So most of those kids are in the reading intervention program. So they're also getting some work there. Um, they, um, we've really been amping up this year our um, small group instruction within the classroom. And, and so they're, they're working with their teachers in small groups. Um, teachers, a lot of times, um, if we do have a, a new kiddo, um, they might sit by a kid who speaks. Spanish so that, you know, that kid can help him interpret what's going on and stuff. But um, our teachers are so good about meeting kids where they are and then um, addressing their needs that it just kind of flows. And that's with any of our kids. Um, like a parent was ta asking me about a 504 for a kiddo. And I said, you know, um, if you let the teacher know what what special accommodations this kid needs, they'll do it. And so 504s, we don't have a lot of 504s at our school until maybe we're moving those kids on to the middle school because my teachers are just really good at knowing what their kids need and then addressing their needs. I love what you're um, talking about as far as your evolution. And I think uh, many of us have fallen somewhere on that line of where you were at the beginning and you kind of came to that stark realization, oh my gosh, my EL kids are not making the progress that I want in this reading, right? Um, as you were just initially looking at some of that data, all the way to this place where you have, you know, people have robust systems that you talked about in California, for instance, very vibrant, very focused and, and lots of different kinds of supports and layers of, of uh, support for students as they continue to build their language skills. And, and then we fall somewhere in between there, but what I was getting at was your thoughtfulness at being able to look at that group of kids in the beginning and then just say, we've got to do something. Now, sometimes I've been working in buildings where 
the overarching kind of belief is, well, they'll just, they'll get it. Kids will just get it. You know, they'll get it from their peers. They'll, they'll eventually just catch up. But I don't think that's always true. And you've said a few times academic vocabulary. And I'm wondering if there's been any kind of a, well, obviously there's been a shift in your district because they sort of said, we want to, you know, copy this across other schools. But tell me more about those pieces that really you have to address that you weren't addressing before. And you mentioned vocab, syntax, speaking, listening, writing. Um, are there some specifics that you just think, no, these are essential. You know, I, I have to make sure we keep this going. you have any thoughts on that? Well, I, I think the, the one-on-one intervention you have to do. And, and that was the one thing we weren't doing. And um, like I said, you know, I, as a classroom teacher in California, if, if there were ELL kids, I didn't even see them, especially like the really, the newcomers, uh, we didn't see them because they went to another program. Okay. And so I didn't have to deal with them. And so this was kind of a new idea to me to have these newcomers come in and, and they've got to, to be in a classroom and, uh, you know, a teacher has to, to deal with their needs. And, um, so yeah, we really had to look at what are their needs and what, and, you know, is just sitting in a classroom. And I think that was probably my theory at one point that sitting in the classroom, they'll just get it. They'll catch up. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, then, then this realization that no, they're not getting it and no, they're not catching yeah. up Yeah, kind of hit. And so, um, I, I really think, um, you, you've got to, you've got to look at a couple of things. You've got to look at, um, where they are in terms of their language acquisition. What, how can, how do they speak? What do they know? What is their even spoken vocabulary? Because that's going to translate into reading vocabulary. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the first things that, that Greece really looks at is their, is their, um, spoken vocabulary. Mm-hmm. So you need to start with, um, you know, even the, the picture thing, the, you know, starting with the pictures and going through, you know, what is this? What's the word for this? What's mm-hmm. the word for this? And then move on to, okay, now let's look at that as a, a reading. Now we know these words, how, what do they look like in print? And doing that, and you have to um, also address kind of the the phonetical differences. So you you really do need to um, almost do a a reading intervention program. You know, like give them the core phonics test, see what they know and don't know in English, and then fill in those blanks, much like you would a child who is struggling in reading, who's a native speaker. So um, it's got to be two, kind of a twofold pro, um, process where you're looking at what do they need in um, phonics. And a newcomer, of course, is going to need, you know, from the basics, almost like what you start with in the kindergartners. But they, they kind of need this two-part where you're, you're addressing oral language and then um, reading language and then the written language, which is how they acquire language anyway, is it starts oral mm-hmm. and then they can move into reading and then they move into writing it. Yeah. I, I was remembering one of the schools I worked at and we had um, focused on 
writing overall, but we knew it was going to have an impact really positively for our EL students. And we had made the assumption that that was going to be a piece that was going to tip, you know, many of our kids into that level of proficiency where they might not need support. What was interesting was we started to realize that our students were performing better in writing than they were in speaking. And then we had to reflect on our work because kind of like your little guy that moved into the classroom, he hadn't been maybe doing as much speaking. And then you asked that teacher, we've got to really get him talking, right? And we recognized Mm -hmm. for ourselves, like, you know what, darn it. We have not been asking these students to maybe step into, it's a little uncomfortable for them, but to step into this place where we're asking them on an ongoing basis to practice that speaking. And and people were allowing them, they didn't mean to do any harm, but they were allowing kids to just sort of be shy and, and to sit back mm-hmm. and to let other people do the work. And and for that school, that, that was a big aha. And I'm kind of curious too, you talked about that vocab, that oral vocab first. And do you, do you see that conversation sometimes with your teachers? We've got to get so-and-so talking more or we've got to get them more engaged. Are they, are they conscious about that? Yeah. Yes, they are. And that's coming more and more to the forefront. So, so one of my big projects this year is that we, we have worked on our reading intervention program. We've worked on our EL program and we still aren't getting the growth in our reading scores that we needed to do. We still have way too many kids who are not reading at grade level by third grade. So we have um, tackled um, our, our tier one instruction. And the way we're doing it is um, everybody, every elementary teacher in the district is doing the letters training. And I don't know if you're familiar with mm-hmm. letters. Yeah, yeah, actually, I did go through that. I love it. Uh, yeah, so I'm doing that now, and I love it too. But um, it's been a, a giant aha that that it, it talks about that same process. You know that that our brains, um, when when you get into the brain research of of reading and and then into writing, that they that kids can't kids can't read what they can't speak, and so that was a big aha for me this year. It's like, Oh, okay. So we're on the right track mm-hmm. with our EL students because we do have to work on their oral vocabulary yeah. before they're really going to be the readers that we need them to be. And then the writers yeah. and, and the letter, the letters um, program really has um, it, the, their phonology um, piece is tied to writing. We do phonics and writing together. And so I, I really think I'm excited to see what that does with our ELs and, and if that boosts them too as, as they move through these, um, the program with these teachers. Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I, I think this is a really great reminder of how important it is for us to um, pay attention to how our groups of students are doing or performing because, um, you know, we we do have to look at individuals, of course, but you looked at your English language learners and noticed they weren't performing on the dibbles. And, um, you know, you, you may not have seen that if you hadn't taken a specific look. And so it's really powerful. It's a powerful reminder for me and for, I think other leaders that we need to be looking at how our student groups are performing in the school and that they don't, you know, get 
maybe ignored by the majority performance. Um, so right. thank you for that. I think, you know, you've, you've uncovered well, a lot of great things by paying attention to the very specific needs of your EL population. Well, and so I, I started with that group in Dibbles, well, in Amplify of my ELs, but now I have several small groups sure. that I kind of track through Amplify um, I have my special ed kids. I have, nice. um, because we have a significant Native American population out here, we, we're probably 30 miles from the Ute Reservation. So I have a lot of Native American kids. I track my Native American kids. And so, right, it, it did teach me that I, I do need to be looking at my, my um, populations and making sure everybody is moving in the right direction. That's great. And and you've had some success as a result. So yep. great yep. job. Um, Carrie, we have one last question that we ask all of our guests as we wrap up. And um, it's kind of a fun little look back. Uh, you know, if you could go back in a time machine and talk to a younger self, either, you know, pre-education or at the beginning of your education career, uh, what would you, what would you say to your younger self? What advice would you give? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, you know, all of us are pretty awful teachers our first few years. Um, I probably want to apologize to those students. We Although it's, it's funny to um, to have worked for so many years in the same district that I have student. I have ex students who now are the parents of my students. Uh-huh. That's fine. And um, so to talk to them, and they'll say, "Oh, but we loved you. You were. We just loved being in your class." And I said, "Well, that's good because I didn't think you were learning much." <laughs> but um, I don't. I think I would. Um, I wish I knew back then, especially teaching special ed, what I know about learning how to read now. Mm-hmm. You know, I spent so many years, I would ask people, you know, they would tell you, well, you should do the, you know, the, the, I do, we do, you do model. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But what do I teach them? Mm-hmm. What do I teach these kids? And I think we took way too many years to figure out what we ta- teach kids to get them really to be proficient readers. Yeah. And I wish I'd had that knowledge, you know, 30 years ago. Yeah, good advice. And and I think that's true. The more that I have learned about that actual process of of reading and what it takes for the brain to put all those components together to make meaning. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm amazed we can read it all because it isn't necessary. <laughs> right? Just a, an easy process. It, it does take a lot of different parts to fall into place to make that possible. So... Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. And uh, we recognize that uh, you've got plenty of choices about how to spend your time. And we are grateful that you allowed us to ask you some really pointed questions and to learn from you about your process of, of working with your students and your teachers on making a school that is making sure all students are successful. So thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on. It's actually been kind of enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad. Sometimes it is fun talking about our practice and, and, you know, being able to step back a little bit and notice some of the successes. So thank you uh, uh, for taking the time to do that. 
You too. Bye.